Well, good morning to you. It's good to worship and be reminded this morning of the gospel. It's so good for our souls to gather each week. I've been reminded personally and just as I've been thinking about this passage, just the realities of life and death. Children are born into this world every day. And when you look at a newborn child or you see a child come into this world, you are reminded of how miraculous it really is. I mean, you, you see this child, you're holding this child, and you, you can't really even believe this has happened, and yet it happens all the time, like multiple times a day. Throughout the world, there are children being born, and every time a child is born, you are reminded, man, this is, this is amazing. And on the other end of the spectrum, you see death happening all the time. It is so common but as we see our loved ones fade and enter into this really difficult season of life, it is common and shocking at the same time. It's, it's something that we, we see in our, our family and we, we often dread for our lives and we, we try to, to forsake those things and think about happier times. We don't want to think about death. We don't want to think about our loved ones dying. We don't want to think about our own death. We want to think about other things. And so we distract ourselves or we consider other aspects of life. And yet, as we are studying the the book of John, we're in a a portion of John where death is is very real. And it's really the focal point of, of what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. We, we look back at, at John chapter 11 and we see this marvelous scene where Jesus is with people that he desperately loves, Lazarus and his family, and, and they are grieving the death of Lazarus. So, so in John chapter 11, and this is a turning point, and so we see the, the chapters ahead are, are Jesus' death, the, the impending death of, of Jesus Christ himself. And so, so many of the chapters ahead of us will be, be looking forward and actually seeing Jesus die. And in John chapter 12, our passage today, Jesus talks about our own death. Jesus calls us to lose our life. And this is not something that we like to think about. We like to think about happier things. We like to think about the the life that Jesus brings. We like to think about the miracles that he has done and how he raised. And yet Jesus says, if you would follow me, you would lose your life. And so there's this call to discipleship that's really interesting. But I want us to, to until, before we get into to John chapter 12, I want us to, to look at the in-between. We, we finished last Sunday with, with the resurrection of, of Lazarus. But so much has happened at the end of chapter 11 into chapter 12 that really pulls us, really and helps bring things full, full circle for us. So rewind the tape. If you've if you got your Bible still open to John 12, flip back to John chapter 11. So, so Jesus is with his friends. Lazarus is a good friend. He has died, and then he has come back to life. Verse 45, as you might imagine, there were many people there, and they believed in him. This is an amazing scene. Jesus Christ has just brought someone back to life, and their response is, wow, this is amazing. So many Jews are there. Many of them believe in Jesus, but some of them left the home, and they went to go tell the Pharisees. Some of them left to go. So the religious leaders, look at verse uh, 48. The religious leaders, they have gathered into a council, and they're trying to figure out what we're going to do. And they say, 
if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. There's a council of religious leaders, and they're trying to figure out, man, he just raised someone from the dead. Everyone's believing. If we let him go on like this, everyone is going to believe. And then you start to see their, the situation that they find themselves in. They say, if, if he turns the world upside down, then Rome is going to come crashing down on us. There's going to be a revolt. This is going to get ugly. And then Caiaphas, the leader there, he says in a, in a prophecy, he doesn't really even understand what he says, but he says, one man must die so that the whole nation doesn't have to die. They're really concerned about Jesus. He is going to create a stir. The Romans are going to come in. They're going to wipe us out. One man must die instead of the whole nation. And so in verse 53, they're, they're gathering. They have made up their mind. They are going to kill Jesus. Verse 54, Jesus, he knows these things are going on, so he's guarded himself a little while. The religious leaders, they are actively looking for him. They're pursuing him. They want to kill him. Into verse, or into chapter 12, we, get, we go back to the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. We have this amazing story. And, and in my mind, as I've been reading through this, I know that I've read the Gospel of John before. I have had to, right? But I didn't connect this, that the, the story of, of Mary anointing Jesus with the, the perf perfume, that, that amazing sacrificial worship, that, that amazing scene, it happened right after Jesus had healed and brought back her, her brother to life. And so there's this amazing scene of, of, of worship and adoration where she, she breaks open the perfume and she anoints Jesus as, as the king symbolically in their own home just days before when Lazarus had come back to life. Could you imagine what it would have been like in that worship service with all of those people? Could you imagine what dinner would have been like with Lazarus present? The ultimate story teller, Lazarus, tell us about dying, right? So, so Lazarus is there, Mary and Martha are there, and then it turns out in verse 12 and following that, that Lazarus has been pretty vocal about what happened to him. Yeah, Lazarus has come back to the, from the dead, and he can't keep quiet about it. So he keeps telling all of his friends and neighbors, and people are, are really talking about this. And because Lazarus has been sharing with people, people are believing in Jesus but now Lazarus is a wanted man. Look at 9 and following. It says that the religious leaders, they didn't want to just kill Jesus, but now they want to kill Lazarus. Lazarus is like, bring it on, baby. Ain't scared of death. Verse 12, because people were at the house in Bethany, because Lazarus has been telling all these people about the resurrection, there are many people who have gathered together, and now these are the people who are lining the streets as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. They're the ones who are waving high the palm branches and saying, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, tying all these pieces together, the triumphal entry is a key scene. It's the start of the, the Holy Week, and, and Jesus' hour is getting ready to come. He's going to say that in a moment. But it is the people who were at the house when Lazarus came back to life. It's the people that Lazarus has been sharing with his experience. They're the ones who are celebrating and worshiping as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on that day, that Palm Sunday. 
The Pharisees, they see this, and in verse 19, look at verse 19, 12, 19, it says, the Pharisees, they said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. They are concerned. The whole world in their eyes, maybe this is, uh, you know, a little exaggerated comment, but in their mind, this has gone too far. The whole world has gone after him. And now, verse 20, now, among those who went up to worship at the feast, there were some Greeks. Truly, this is not just the Jewish people at the home that were worshiping. This is really going around the world. People are hearing about Jesus. Even these Greeks, these Gentiles, want to know more about who Jesus is and what they're doing. So there's this group of Greeks. These Gentile people are coming, and they come to Philip, and they come to Andrew, and they say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We want to see what's going on tonight or today as we see Jesus' response to these Greek men. We see that he's turning the world upside down, and he responds to them in a way that's pretty monumental. I think his instruction to them really shapes how we ought to live, how we ought to follow him as his disciples. He says, the hour has come. A grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies. He who loves his life must lose it. If anyone would serve me, he would follow me, and the Father will honor him. As we look at Jesus' instruction to us this morning, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the, this time together, the reading and the teaching of his word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we do know you to be a good God and, and marvelous, Lord. And we thank you for the gospel accounts, which just show us your work and your plan and how you have come to rescue us. Lord, even today as we consider your call, as we look at this instruction that you have given these men, what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow you, I pray that our church would be made up of men and women, young and old, disciples who would forsake all to follow you. Lord, even as we think about the week ahead, Lord, I pray that this passage would shape the way that we love one another, the way that we follow you, the way that we serve even our community. Lord, bless this time as we study your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus answers them. They say, we wish to see Jesus. And so Jesus responds and he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. John, in a, in a masterful way, has been writing this gospel account. And, and, and along the way, he has been talking about the hour. Jesus has been saying, my hour has not come. The hour is the hour of his death. The time where, where the Son of Man will be glorified. Think back into chapter 2 at the wedding feast. Jesus responds to his mother, my hour has not come. In chapter 4, to the Samaritan woman, he says, the hour is coming Speaking to the religious leaders in chapter 5, he says the hour is coming. And seven, in chapter 7 and um, twice, he's speaking of his death. He says, it is not yet come. Chapter 8, he's back at the temple. He's teaching. They try to arrest him, but he says, my hour has not come. And now, 
Jesus has come into Jerusalem, he says, my hour has come. This is the hour of his death, and and this is what was on his mind. And and he gives this illustration. He says, "As as a grain of wheat falls into the earth, it dies. And from that grain will come forth fruit. As as a seed, if a seed stays in the bag, it will do nothing. But the, the grain must fall, the seed must fall into the earth, and then it will die and then bear fruit. This hour has now come where Jesus, the ultimate seed, will fall into the ground and will produce This is the nature of the gospel. This is what we believe that because Jesus fell into the ground, because he died, the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of salvation has come to all people. And that's, that's what we believe and that's what we cling to is that because Jesus died, we can have life. Because Jesus died once for all, the death that we died deserved, we can have life in his name. And, and the gospel is always producing fruit. Jesus is saying this here, that, that the seed will go into the ground and then produce fruit. But the New Testament writers will, will affirm that and agree with that and say that the, the gospel is always bearing fruit. It's always increasing and bearing fruit. There's these two ideas of, of bearing fruit and growing. Think in a twofold way. It's growing in our lives, the, the fruit of the Spirit. The gospel is always, if the seed of the gospel is deep into our heart, it will bear fruit in our lives. It will increase and bear fruit. That's what the gospel does. The seed, Jesus Christ himself, he will go deep into our lives and increase and bear fruit. But the gospel will also go out into the world and increase and multiply and bear fruit. That's what we see if at the end of time, where, where all of the nations are gathered around, people from every tribe, nation, and tongue are gathered, and we see that the gospel will not fail, that it will, it will go, the seed of the gospel will go to all of the world and will bear fruit and increase until all will come to know him, those who will believe from every tribe, nation, and tongue. So it is the nature of the gospel to, to bear fruit and to increase. Because Jesus Christ, the seed, has died, the gospel will go forth with power and authority in our lives and into the world. This is the fuel for us. And it, it's interesting because we, we like to shy away from death, but it seems a little backwards that, that death can produce such great fruit. We dread death. We stay away from death. But Jesus is using this death in a different way. Death is the means by which life will come into the world. And Jesus didn't just say that his life will produce fruit, but he goes on and he calls us. Jesus doesn't just speak of his death. Look in in verse 24. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat, he's talking about his life, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. Then he shifts gears to us. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone would serve me, he must follow me where I am there will my servant be also. Jesus dies, but he is calling us to die as well. If we are going to find life in Jesus, we must die. 
We must hate our lives. We must seek to lose our lives. And that's a strong call. All of these people had had gathered. They were believing in him. And then he throws this bomb and says, if you want to follow me, lose it all. Crowds are gathering. Lose your life, he says. Die to yourself. Hate yourself. Jesus, isn't this a little strong? Are we really supposed to hate ourselves even to the point of longing for our own death? Seems a little, a little backwards. Yeah, it is backwards. About a year ago, something really great happened to our family. We inherited an awesome dog, Sydney. We got a, we got a seven and a half year old or seven year old dog. She's a beagle boxer mix, but literally the best dog I've ever seen. And, and I say that because we didn't train her. We could, we say we, we could brag about her because we had nothing to do with it. But literally, she is the best dog. The, the kids love her, but she doesn't, I mean, she hasn't chewed up anything. She doesn't go crazy. In fact, we have a motto at our house that says, be like Sydney, right? Luke, be like Sydney. Right? Because she's a great dog. She's the best dog, the best dog I've ever had, the best dog I've ever seen. I know you got good dogs, but no, literally, Sydney is the best dog. But here's the thing. If I had the option, or if, I, if our house was on fire and I had the, to choose between saving my children or saving my dog, I'd choose my children every time, right? Let that dog die. I'm going to get my kids, right? Will, Nora, Kate, and Luke, my affection and love for my children is so great that I, if I had a thousand times to choose, I would choose them every time. Don't even need a millisecond. Choose my children. Sydney, she's gone. She's dead to me. Man, it sounds a little, a little harsh, Chip. Don't you love that dog? Yeah, yeah, but compared to my, my love and affection for my children, it seems like I hate that dog. I'd, I'd lose that dog in a heartbeat before I lose my children. That's what Jesus is saying here. If you want to follow me, lose your life. When you lose your life, you gain so much. Follow me and find life in the fruit of the gospel that comes. Lose yourself. Lose your desire for for your own life and your own accolades and your own wealth. And lose all of that for the sake of following me. Whoever would lose his life, whoever would hate his life in this world will gain eternal life. Let your love and affection for me and what I am doing and the salvation that I am bringing, that the the life would come out of my death, let that fuel your life. Put aside those other things. Lose those things. Hate those things. Come and follow me. This is really a call to die. As, As followers of Christ, we are called to die to ourselves, to hate ourselves, because Jesus, the the wonderful and amazing Son of God, has has fallen into the earth on our behalf and been raised to new life, we follow him. And here's the, that's, that's pretty amazing in itself, but then here's, here's the end of verse 26. Another backward statement. Jesus is full of these backward statements. It's better to give than to receive. Lose your life that you may gain it. But listen to this backward statement. If anyone would serve me, verse 26, he says, if anyone would serve me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Hear this. If anyone serves me, the Father 
will honor him. Talk about Jesus. I mean, I think our life is supposed to honor God. We're supposed to forsake all, follow you, and therefore honor and worship and glorify the Father. Jesus says, this is money in the bank, this is gospel. If anyone would serve me, the Father will honor him. This is, this is amazing. We are God's children. We have been saved. We've been rescued. We have life because of his death. And now we, we follow him and God honors us. This is an amazing that God would honor a sinner like you and me. It shows you that there's life. There's grace. There's, there's joy in serving him. This whole thing seems backwards, but that's what Jesus has come to do. He has come to turn the world upside down. And this week, we have the opportunity in our serve Roanoke to put the gospel on display to a lost world. We have the opportunity this week to lose our life for the sake of the gospel, to hate our lives so that we can demonstrate how much we love God and how much he has done for us. And it sounds strange. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This sounds so strange. It's going to be like 100 degrees tomorrow. Why in the world would we want to, to go out into the parks or, or go over to Old Villa Heights and, and tear down some handicap ramps and, and rebuild some stuff or, or trim some bushes? Why in the world would we want to do that? It's going to be hot. Don't you know that? We want to lose our life for the sake of the gospel. You would spend your evenings, your time off, your me time, time to chillax. You would spend that time this week going and serving others and coaching children in the, in the sport of soccer and engaging their parents with love. You would do that? We lose ourselves. And if I serve this week, man, I'm going to get behind at work. Or maybe my grass won't get cut. What will the neighbors think? It's going to be all right. If we, if we follow Christ, that means we, we die to ourselves. It means we die to our schedules. It means we die to our prerogative and our own agenda. We die to ourselves, and we follow him, and we find life. We find joy. We find purpose. We find the gospel is bearing fruit, not just in the world. Serve Roanoke is about our community, but it's also about us. As we lose our life for the sake of the gospel, we see the fruit of the gospel bearing, increasing and bearing fruit in our lives. I guarantee you, if you, if you say, man, I'm going to forsake an extra hour of sleep and go and, and prayer walk with, with 10 other believers in the morning, you'll say, man, that was the best way to start my day. Because that's what the gospel does. It helps us to forsake ourselves, and it, and it helps us to, to follow him. And when we follow him, we find so much life. And we say, man, worshiping and, and praying with my brothers and sisters, man, I can't think of a better way to start my day. It seemed like I was denying myself, but what I gained was so much life. So serve Roanoke is about our community, but it's also about convincing us that it's worth it. Forsaking all, I trust you. I follow you, God, and I find that there is joy and meaning and value and that the fruit of the gospel is increasing in our lives. I was on the phone earlier this week with a, 
the delightful lady, you would know her from our church, and she said, you know, Chip, I can't, I can't get out there with a shovel. And I said, you know, I, I understand that. She said, but I'm going to bring some of that shrimp macaroni salad to those students. I said, bring it on. I said, I, said, I love the sentiment of that. I can't do this, but I'm going to do that. I want to participate in any way. How about a, how about a tray of brownies? I said, we'll eat them. You know, I love the idea that she said, I can't do this, but I can do that. And the reality is that some of us have strengths and weaknesses that allow us to do certain things, but we are unified. And I want to encourage us, wherever you can this week, forsake yourself and find joy in serving him. Some of you will help us by laboring physically. Others of you will help us by laboring prayerfully. You see in your, in your bulletin, there's a, there's a prayer guide. And this is so significant. I want to invite you to turn it out. I want us to, to even spend some time this morning praying for the week ahead. And, and I do recognize that we have responsibilities and there are things that would keep us from serving at all times. But if you have a desire and maybe even a conviction to serve, we would love to, to employ you in some way. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we're going to be doing but I would call all of us to pray. For unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, we labor in vain. We can, we can have a great phenomenal soccer nights program, or we could, we could work over in the parks or over at the hill, but we need the Lord to bless his work. We need the gospel to, to go forth and, and change lives in only ways that he can. So, so pray with us. In this part of the service, I want to kind of walk through this, this prayer guide, kind of tell you about some of the things that we're going to be doing, and then I'm going to call us to pray silently for about a minute around some of these opportunities to pray corporately, and then someone will come and, and pray for us. But I do want us to spend the last 10 minutes of this um, of the sermon really just committing these things to you as our body, but ultimately committing them to to the Lord. So we're going to be working in the parks. This is something that we're doing. We're going to be over at Daryl Shell Park, right behind Penn Forest Elementary. And we've got a, a great crew, crew leaders, and, and a great team that are going to really be just trying to beautify and to paint and to trim and to pull weeds. And really, that, that park is a central location. We hope to, to bless our community by serving there, making that a more beautiful place. So pray for us that we would have opportunities to talk with people in the park, to engage people, and that this would be a tangible expression for us as we mulch, as we paint, as we trim, really as we serve together, that it would be a testimony to our community. So we'll look at the prayer request there. I want, us, I want us to pray, and I'm going to invite you to pray quietly where you are. Pray that our work would be effective at Daryl Shell Park, at Starkey Park, in our community. Would you pray with me now and then? Someone will come and voice a prayer in a moment. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for the teams that will be working in each of the parks this week. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to remember that we are your servants. Uh, I ask that you would allow us to do good work, Lord, and to accomplish much, to make our community a better place. And Lord, as we work in the heat, as Chip had mentioned, help us to serve joyfully as your ambassadors. And Lord, help us to look beyond the work task for opportunities to engage with people in our community. And Lord, as we engage with those people, help us to be bold and to rely on the Holy Spirit to give us the right words to say. 
Lord, we thank you for your many blessings, and we just pray for your leadership and your guidance in all that we do that it would be to your glory and not ours. <clears throat> we ask all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jim. A second project that we're going to be working on is uh, work at the old Villa Heights Baptist Church in, in northwest Roanoke. Um, many of you know of this church. It sits up on a, on a hill uh, off of Lafayette there and, and has been abandoned for, for a very long time. And you can see from the picture that it's boarded up. There's overgrown. Um, yeah, the landscape just is, it just looks rough. And it, it's really kind of a testimony that, that there's been no gospel presence in that building for a long time. And many of you know that that area in, in Roanoke has some significant needs. And, and we have the opportunity this week to, to come alongside of um, the Hill Church, which is a new SBCV church plant um, that hopes to move into this building within the next year. They are uh, gaining access to this and, and has been given to them. And so we are excited to be working alongside of Charles Wilson, Pastor Charles Wilson, and the Hill Church to really beautify the, their grounds. And we want to pray that the Lord would would use our work to be an example. Is that, that church is literally, it's on the hill. It's the hill church. The hill church would be radiating the gospel to a community that desperately needs to know. So would you take some time? Let's pray for the hill. Let's pray that our work at the old Villa Heights Baptist would really be a beacon of light and hope of the gospel. Pray with me. you, God, we just would like to pray for um, this week during Sir Vernock. We pray that um, Jesus Christ would be known and give us your strength to do what we cannot do ourselves and help us to work to the best of our abilities. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Mitch. Soccer Nights is a way for us to really engage in a relational way the, the families that are in our community. We, we love our kids. We love our kids to be engaged and, and have a great place to come. So at Penn Forest, at Daryl Shell Park, in the evenings, we're going to be doing um, a soccer camp. And, and this is a great way for, for us to really bless the families. And, and all of the families will be around and hanging out. And, and we're really hoping to, to really make this a fun and, and engaging night. Um, actually not night, a whole week, Sunday through, through Thursday. And so we're hoping that through, the, through just blessing their children, they would see us as a, as a really a kind and generous church that, that seeks to love and, and bless families here. This was our desire, and we want to, to take it to them and go to the parks and provide soccer nights. And so if you're a part of that, you'll have a nice pink shirt, and we get to enjoy that again this year. But, but soccer nights is, is really one of the, the best things that we do in the summer um, to engage and reach out in a relational way. We'll have five nights to be together with these children and families. Look at these requests for us, and um, would you pray for our soccer nights week? Lord, we pray that you would be glorified, Lord, as we, as we serve you in this way at soccer nights, Lord. We pray you would equip us to, to teach these children well, that they would have fun, that we would be fun. We pray that um, we would be engaging to them and their parents, Father, that there would be organic conversations that come about, Lord, that even we would, as much as possible, push through the awkward to have conversations 
um, just to get to know families, um, to invite them into our lives, maybe even our homes. Um, Lord, we pray that you would use our work at Soccer Nights this week to glorify yourself. Um, you would um, remind us that uh, because of the gospel, we can and we, we get to give our lives away and help us to do that on that Soccer Nights this week. We pray in Christ's name. Thank you, Philip. Lastly, we want to pray for our students who are, who are serving. Um, this is a church-wide effort, but we have a great group of students. We've got about 25 students who are going to spending the night here at our church, um, enjoying the, the week of service together. And so we want to pray for them. They're going to really help us in the parks and at Villa Heights and really with soccer nights. They, they bring a lot of the um, excitement and fun. And we're praying for them this week as they serve that the gospel will take deep root into their into their lives. And so the students, this is a great opportunity for them to serve, but also for them to grow. Would you pray for our students that this week they would have the energy to serve, but also that their hearts would be changed to love God and know him more. Father, we want to ask for your grace on our students this week. Lord, we thankful. we're thankful for the fruit of the gospel that is already at work in them. We're thankful that you've called them. The seeds of the gospel have already been planted in many of them. And that they're growing. And Lord, we pray that in the middle of all the things that they'll do this week, God, we know in your sovereignty you will do this, this but we ask, God, that you would use everything that they do, Lord, to bring about a greater understanding of the gospel in their own lives. And the Father, in the miraculous way that you do in all of our lives, that you would use them to point others to Christ. And for all of us, Lord, as we go and as we serve, Father, we would pray that we would not live in a way where, where we think about ourselves first, but about others. That we would not think about protecting ourselves or isolating ourselves or insulating ourselves, God, but, but see that the way of the gospel, the way of the cross that Christ has demonstrated and lived and died for us is the way we are called to follow. Lord, we look forward to the many ways that... Um, the gospel will go forth this week, and we find joy in serving and giving glory to Christ. Pray in his name.